0: You can find links to both sponsors in the show notes. Now, if you like what we're up to, please hit subscribe so you can stay current as we release new episodes each week. You can also share what we're up to with others, friends, colleagues, leaders, teams, students, and others you think will benefit. And now, today's show. Okay, everybody, welcome to the Phronesis Podcast. Thank you so much for checking in wherever you are in the world. Uh, we definitely appreciate you being here with us and checking in, as always. Today, I just have a, a giant in the leadership studies literature, and I'm so excited for this conversation. I have George R. Al Goethels, and he is the E. Clairborne Robbins Distinguished Professor in Leadership Studies Emeritus at the University of Richmond. Previously at Williams College, he served as chair of the Department of Psychology, acting dean of the faculty, provost and founding chair of the Program in Leadership Studies. Gotho's published books include Heroes, Who They Are, and Why We Need Them, 2010, Heroic Leadership, and Influence Taxonomy of 100 Exceptional Individuals, 2013, with Scott Allison. More recently, he authored Presidential Leadership in African Americans, An American Dilemma, From Slavery to the White House, 2015, Realignment, Region and Race, Presidential Leadership and Social Identity in 2018, and The Romance of Heroism and Heroic Leadership, 2019 with Allison. Gothels received the 2022 Lifetime Achievement Award from the International Leadership Association and with Allison and Georgia J. Sorensen. He is the co-editor of the SAGE Encyclopedia of Leadership Studies, that's 2023, Sir, you have been incredibly busy. I have been, yeah. Well, I am so excited for this conversation. Maybe before we jump in, what else do listeners need to know about you? Share a little bit about you. Hobbies. What else do you do when you're not writing books about leadership? What is Al spending his time on? Oh,
1: gosh. Al used to be a pretty decent runner, but... uh... At age 75, that had to stop, uh, <laughs> but, but I'm still doing writing and editing. I'm not being paid for it anymore, <laughs> so um, I, I can't claim it's my job when I go off to, to the office, but I'm mostly a reader and writer of uh, things presidential, which has been an interest for me since about third grade.
0: Oh, wow. Wow, really? Since third grade. So talk about that. My parents had a picture of Abraham Lincoln in the house, and I knew he was the
1: 16th president. I don't know what that meant to me at the time, but then I read a book on various presidents and I learned them about them. And my when I was in fifth grade, my dad offered me $5 to learn all the presidents and vice presidents and defeated candidates. And most of that is stuck. So I've always had an interest in these guys. <laughs> my, and the um, defeated
0: candidates, huh? That's That's... Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, they, well, they're much more important than the vice presidents, actually. <laughs> I imagine. I imagine. But, oh. Um, so it, it, it's really a lifelong interest in, in history. And then in psychology, I'm really interested in both. I, I, I took a high school psychology class the first year was offered. And gosh, it was terribly dull, You know, just classical conditioning and so forth. And then the teacher, this is Winchester High School in, in a suburb of Boston, Massachusetts. And the teacher, who was a grad student at Harvard, came in one day, he wanted to talk about Freud. Okay. And I never heard the word. And he said, I guess I have to check it out with the police department and the fire department. And boy, that that got my attention. And then he said, are there any students here who know that they cannot study Freud? I was astounded by the question. And a bunch of the kids raised their hand. Those are the kids who went to St. Mary's. Hmm. Catholics, so whatever this Freud thing is, it's on the Catholic list of forbidden texts, and I need to read it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Tell me more. I'm intrigued. Right,
1: this so, Freud character. And so that hooked me. So, so a lifelong interest in in social influence, in group behavior. Then that, and combined with my interest in presidents, nicely spilled over to to research on presidential debates. So then, then that led me to. Well that didn't lead me but I, but I was fortunate enough to get a job offer at Williams College yes. in 1970 and uh, one of the things I knew about Williams College there was a professor there named James McGregor Burns who had written us a, a book called John Kennedy a political profile which is a campaign biography of of um, Kennedy and and I happened to first encounter him this, in, in the summer of 1970, when Ted Kennedy, within a year, of the Chappaquiddick disaster was running for re-election, and he was giving a lecture in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, okay. giving a campaign talk. And this man stood up and asked a question, and it was fascinating because it was both intellectually challenging, but just in the demeanor of the whole thing, it was clear that he, this questioner, was a... A fan of Ted Kennedy, and maybe the Kennedys in general, and I said that has to be James McGregor Burns. <laughs> I taught a, a little course uh, during Williams winter study period. It, it's an uh, unusual pass/fail kind of be between semester courses, and on on presidents. And, and I invited Burns to come to class, and he, he he talked about some theories of presidential leadership. So that was really our our, our first. Meeting, and then the second meeting. One day he knocked on my door. And he said, <laughs> "Have you have you have have you got a minute?" And, and there was the great man, and of course, and he said he was interested in leadership, and he made it clear that it wasn't simply leaders, but the the whole scholarly realm of the whole nature of of leadership. He said, "I know that that I'm missing something. I need to understand." psychology related to leadership. Particularly, I need to understand human motivation. And we chatted and I'd asked him if he knew uh, the work of Abraham Maslow. And no, he said, and uh, Maslow was famous within psychology for his uh, hierarchy of needs and the basic idea that when lower needs are satisfied, like safety needs, then you go on to Higher level needs like need for esteem and uh, finally self actualization. He was very intrigued by that, and I and I also put him on to um, the work of uh, Lawrence Kolber, who talked about moral development. Yes, and he and I had some correspondence and and a couple of further conversations, and he was really taken with those two theories, those you know those two bodies of work. And interestingly enough, they they, they have found their way into his most important contribution, which is the contribution, the the idea, the notion of transforming as opposed to transactional leadership, which he defines as leaders and followers engaging each other in a way which raises both Mm. to higher levels of motivation and morality. He also talks about how leaders, by satisfying motives, can change them, which is right out of Maslow. Yes. and so, so my fantasy, of course, is that the, the notion of transforming leadership was born that afternoon, just about fifty years ago, when Burns tumbled into my office and uh, asked about motivation, and then I and, and then I guess he must have talked about moral development.
0: Well, I would, I, I'm, I'm guessing if he's if he's talking about motivation and morality, you had a little piece in that, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe so.
1: And 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 one thing for the record. Scott, is that Burns is often credited with developing the concept of transformational leadership. And Mm. that may be one of the best known terms to come out of what one might call the leadership industry. Burns never used the term transformational leadership. It was always transforming. And transforming leadership, that concept has the moral component in it, which transformational does not at least at at least not explicitly. I guess good for Jim that transformational leadership is attributed to him. <laughs> as well. but, but I would prefer that people, when they think of Burns, think of transforming and think of the the moral component, which really is central to all of his work.
0: Well, Al, I never had an opportunity to to interact in any great depth with him. I saw him at a few ILA conferences and sat in some sessions and, of course, was in awe. This might have been around when I was doing some of my PhD work, 2003, 2004, 2005, around then. But uh, talk a little bit about Jim as a person. What are some reflections you have on him as an individual?
1: Oh, gosh. He was such an interesting person. Actually, I I gave a brief eulogy at his funeral, and I mentioned the fact that when you called him on the telephone, (laughs) 413-458-8607. 413-458-8607. <laughs> wow! Wow! And, and if he if he wasn't there, the entry machine would come on, and he'd say, "This is James McGregor Burns, Jim Burns." So there's always this double identity. <laughs> of, I'm a big scholar. I'm James McGregor Burns, but I'm also Jim Burns. Yes, and 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 that's what I saw actually when in that. Ted Kennedy rally. You know, he, you know, there was both the tough analytic question, but with a personal seal of approval somehow. It, it was just, and, and in fact, in 1983, I proposed to Jim that we have a retrospective on the 20th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination. He said, great idea, you organize it. <laughs> Which is difficult, <laughs> And I did, and, and there was a, uh, Burns and me, and a sociologist and an economist, and he kept saying, "Now be be tough, you know, you know in in your comments. You know, th- th- this is not hagiography. That th- this is a hard nosed uh, intellectual penetration of of, of Kennedy, uh, and of course he was the anchorman, the you know, the last one, and, and I don't remember much about what he said except that he ended with a very sentimental Yates poem." that related to Kennedy. (laughs) So there was always the very personal, very emotional and the analytic. He was very, he was very generous. He had his agenda. And, and, and one thing that I'm, that I'm forever grateful to him for is he kept pushing me, you know, maybe, maybe starting back in the seventies. I really don't remember it to start a leadership studies program at Williams. And he had tried to do it. And I remember a meeting in New York where, Classmate at Williams, Jack Sawyer, who was former president. Organized a bunch of people to push it, and I, I think Burns got a grant from the Oldham Foundation, I, I think, and a political scientist taught a course, maybe back as early as 1990. But 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 nothing came of it. Partly because Jim was retired. Partly he he wasn't as good at, at transactional leadership as he, as he was in in transforming leadership. But I was provost for five years from Ed Williams from nineteen ninety five, and and when I stopped doing that, I said I'm, I'm going to teach a course on leadership, and, and 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 that something of a break with my traditional social psychology work, and that led to a program, and you know Burns had his fingerprints all over that. He said, "Gee, do you mind if this alumnus audits your course?" and and uh, you know, let's have a dinner with the, you know, it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> One wonderful thing about that, so that 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 goes back to 1997. He mentioned the James McGregor Burns Academy at the University of Maryland Georgia yes. and Georgia Sorensen. Yes. And I remember being in Washington, March 31st, 1998. God, it was a hot day. <laughs> I went to College Park and I and I met Georgia Barbara Kellerman. A graduate student there named Scott Webster. I don't I don't know if he's still still at, at Harvard. I'm not I'm not sure what's become of his career. He did a wonderful thesis on doctoral thesis on Spiro Agnew. But anyway, I, I got connected with with Georgia, and um, then I was asked to edit the Encyclopedia of Leadership by a small publishing company, Berkshire Publishing in Berkshire County, and they and and, and you know, they wanted local involvement. And I couldn't possibly have done that without Georgia, because she, you know, she she just knew the names and numbers and the players much 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 better than I did, and, and and also some of the work. And actually, let me let me pack up because before that happened, I'd become acquainted starting in late two thousand, early two thousand one, with the Jepson School of Leadership Studies. Yes, at the University of Richmond, and Jim Burns helped birth that program. So he and did
0: get it. He got it, just not at Williams.
1: <laughs> he got it. I know the president of the University of Richmond called a man named John Chandler, who was former president of Williams, and says, this guy burns for real. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> and then, so Jim, in the early 90s, ended up as a scholar, senior scholar advisor for two years at the University of Richmond to help form the curriculum. And actually, the first year of the Jepson faculty, they didn't teach anything. It was it, it was all all developing the courses. Oh, Joanne Chuller, Richard Kudo, Gil Hickman, Tom Wren, I think were all in in that first group. I know Joanne was and I, I'm pretty sure Dick Kudo.
0: Just an incredible team of scholars were, right there that you just listed, right?
1: They were fabulous. And then Jim and Georgia cooked up this idea of Collaboratively writing a general theory of leadership, and, they,
0: and they <laughs> take pull- listeners through this. Scott, this I, I've never had this conversation on on the podcast, and so I think that'll be a lot of fun. Take listeners through through these adventures.
1: So that falls I mean, right after nine eleven. Actually, we we convened in Richmond with the Jepson faculty, Georgia Burns, a couple of other people. We tried various things. There were some presentations at ILA in Seattle in 2002.
0: That was my first ILA in 2002. And so I attended that presentation. I don't know that I understood anything. (laughs) We talked
1: about the Montgomery bus boycott. I think that that was the leadership in relation to that. I think that. So I got involved by way of Jim with the Jepson School. I, I was on a sabbatical. In spring of 2004, at the Jepson School, and Georgia was teaching a course there, and Burns had some appointment. So the three of us were there and working with the Jepson faculty. And I remember, of I think the date is May fourth, 2004. <laughs> I I had become the organizer somehow of this uh, of this project, and we met in the dean's conference room at Jepson, and Michael Harvey and. Mark Walker, a couple of other people were there. And I remember saying as we started that meeting in the morning that we either have a plan for book when we adjourn for lunch or, you know, we've been kicking this around for a couple of years. yeah, uh, you know, you various con- at, at ILA conferences and, and other ones. And by gosh, we did. And um, then later that year, one of the Jepson faculty, Fred Jablin, was tragically murdered by his ex-wife and I think she was convicted of murder wanted i I, I won't go into all of that that, but I'd been there for a semester and, and the Dean Ken Russio asked me, you know how should we replace Fred? Should we an organizational psychologist or and I said, social psychology.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I may and, know and, a guy, yes
1: <laughs> and uh, so I I, I I said yeah, yeah, let you let me think so so I did some research I, I made a list for Ken of some senior leadership scholars and then some of their students and younger people. And I was having lunch with him visiting Richmond and, I was, you know, I'd, I'd done my homework and I was you know, going through this list of people and he looked terribly bored as I was. <laughs> and he said, would you be interested? And uh, yeah. And so that, that led to my job. I, I didn't start until January 0- 06. And I had a interesting conversation with, Burns about that. Oh wow! Because I was leaving Williams, and I had started the the program in leadership phase that Williams it was up and running. It was doing fine, and really, it was within a year of it being finally approved by the faculty that I told him I was leaving, and uh, he was ambivalent. I mean, he he can, he congratulated me. So that's you know, that's that's great, and since. Richmond, in some ways, was as meaningful to him as as Williams, in a, in a more limited way. Um, he said, "Yeah." So, and, and we kept in touch in, uh, uh, until the very end, and, and uh, so it was interesting.
0: Well, I was saying to you before we started recording that really you are a part of my first academic publication because. <laughs> The the Encyclopedia of Leadership, which, I mean, this four-volume, I, I can't even imagine the undertaking here, sir, but it's you and Georgia Sorensen and, and James McGregor Burns or Jim Burns, depending on, you know... <laughs> and and yeah. Dick Kudo, you know, he he was my advisor in my PhD program and he got me looped into the ILA right away and he started uh, offering us opportunities to publish and so I had written an article on how the Beatles were leaders and and David Sarnoff <laughs> and Good. I, I Good. you know I am so thankful and I, it's so interesting to me that now years and years later, we're connecting in this way. And you were a part of my first academic publication. You you provided well, that, so many individuals opportunities to contribute to that just incredible volume. Well, I wish we'd had a chance to talk about Beatles.
1: Because um, when I lecture on Jungian psychology and the four types, thinking, feeling, intuition, intuition, and sensation, well, I back up with Beatles songs, the claim that uh, Ringo is the sensation type, and that Harrison is the feeling type, and that Len is the thinking type. You say you want a revolution, you know, <laughs> and uh, and McCartney is the intuitive type, and that's why their music is so good, because it, it, it combines all of these functions.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I'd never thought of it that way at all. I'd never thought of it that way. But, you know, it, it it would be interesting to watch the Peter Jackson documentary, the Get Back documentary, through the lens of oh my gosh, did you did you have an opportunity to watch that? It was just fascinating. I, no,
1: no, I haven't. It's it, it is something on my list of things.
0: Oof, it's to it's do, but... so fascinating. And you know, I have this dream. It's not something that I've is high on the priority list, but I think you could do a whole course on group dynamics. With that, with that documentary, I mean, it is yeah. fascinating to watch the nonverbals, or yeah. even just moments where "Get Back" emerges out of nothing, just pausing well, around.
1: <laughs> somebody asked me. You, we, we've had various discussions, in my family about favorite Beatles songs. I think "Get Back" is. I mean, it, it, it's hard to pick one, but but, yeah. but but that is, that is certainly, a contender. And the movie "Let It Be." Did you see
0: that? I don't know that I did. I don't know that uh, I did.
1: That came out shortly after 1970, and it's, it's about it, about a concert on, the, on a rooftop. Yes, yes. And I know part of that finds its way in, into the Get Back documentary. And boy, there's a scene in there where McCartney's talking to Harrison, and you could just feel so much tension between the two of them. And Harrison was being sort of passive-aggressive, and man, McCartney was trying to, Bully, but not bully. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then Ringo walks in. Hello, Richard. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> yeah. so, so, so he sort of eases the tensions. Yes. So then, so the group dynamics.
0: Yeah. Yoko's Art. sitting there reading the newspaper while John's, you know, trying to yeah. contribute.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's it's fabulous.
0: We'll talk about talk about the Encyclopedia of Leadership a little bit. I think for listeners who are not familiar with this four-volume set, just incredible undertaking. Talk about that project because well, that, you,
1: you, you, that was a lot of work, and and the people at Berkshire Publishing did most of the heavy lip, heavy lifting. Uh, it was very broad; had a lot of biographies in it, as, as as you know. And and sidebars and very, very broad. And 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 I think it, it contributed to the field. I know people use it. Gosh, it was a long time ago now. So you have to know, you know that was done 20 years ago. And more recently, I guess 2019, Sage called me called me up out of the blue, wanted to do a second edition. Well, there are complications in the relationship between Berkshire Publishing and Sage, which I, I don't understand, but it, 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 you know, what we decided to do was a whole new project, Encyclopedia of Leadership Studies. Mm. And I asked Georgia whether she was, you would like to be involved in it. She said, yeah, but you have to understand that my health is precarious. I said, well, let, you know, let, but let's but let proceed as, as, as best we can. Then I also brought in my colleagues, uh, Scott Allison, uh, with whom I'd written a couple of books on Heroes and heroic leadership, and so the you know the three of us commenced, and sadly Georgia died just as it was getting off the ground. But but you know but she was a contributor just by her encouragement, her 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 contacts, her knowledge, and uh, so so she's a you know she's a full fledged editor of the book, which came out uh, earlier this year. So nineteen years between the. Encyclopedia of Leadership and the Encyclopedia of, of of Leadership Studies, and and the and the latter is 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 more scholarly, I would say. It, it doesn't have bios, and it, it just you know, focuses on theory and research.
0: Al, would you talk? Would you reflect a little bit on Georgia? Just because she was such a giant in in the field, yeah. <laughs> and I was interacting with her just as the podcast was beginning. I think I'd started the podcast in April of 2020. And we started to kind of interact about her being on the podcast. And she said, I want to do this. But then it was just a little bit kind of precarious. And so we never got to have the conversation. Uh, her daughter, Susanna, has been on. And, and that was a wonderful conversation. But I know listeners would love to hear some of your reflections on on Georgia as well.
1: Well, she became a good friend and and, and colleague. You know, we We edited the book that came out of the General Theory Project, which is Called the quest for her general theory of leadership, and it was the impossible dream, you know, <laughs> uh, the, the the quest. And she stayed with us once or twice when she visited me and 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 Jim in in Williamstown, and you know, you know we just stayed in touch, um, kind yeah. of the you know the three of us. <laughs> but I had my own relationship with with Georgia, which was mostly bouncing ideas off of each other. Yeah. And, we did a couple of things together after the Quest book. Uh, there's a handbook of leadership that Alan Brynman and I think David Collinson and maybe Keith Grimpton edited. I, I can't remember who, who the editors were. And Georgia and I and um, a third author was a page. I'm forgetting her name. She's a student of Dick Kudos. He wrote a, a, a chapter on uh, the history and future of the. Uh, General Leadership Project, but uh, ever since I first met her in 1998, and and uh, you know, she she had worked for Jimmy Carter, and we talked about that, and among many other things, she was a a, a dear friend and colleague who who
0: contributed a great deal to the field of leadership studies. Exactly, exactly. Well, what should listeners know about? The Encyclopedia of Leadership Studies. Is there anything that you want people to, as we begin to kind of wind down our time, is yeah. there anything you want listeners to know? And of course, I'll put links in the show notes so that people can click on that. Yeah. But what intrigued you through this process? What kind of stands out for you as you think about this work? Because again, it's, a, it's two volumes. It's a large undertaking. Yeah,
1: well, well, just getting to know a, a much broader range of scholars ah. of leadership then, you know, then I knew when I, you know, when I started. I, mean, I, I, I just didn't know, that, as I said, the names and numbers of, of, of the players in the way that that Georgia did. And I, and I still did them when I started the Encyclopedia of Leadership Studies, but, but, but certainly much more. And, and then through other colleagues like Joanne Chula and uh, David Collinson, got to know a, a much broader, uh, Ron Riggio, uh, a much wider group. And maybe the, you, one of the most exciting things was was to know David Collinson. And through him meeting some of the Brit critical theory people, Grant and Suze Wilson, Gareth Edwards, Bert Spector. Bert's not a Brit, but might as well be.
0: <laughs> Either is Suze. <laughs> he's, a,
1: he's a Cardinals fan, and, and, and we share a lot of just as a brief digression, as we, as, as we shared baseball memories, I, I I think I impressed him by saying I remember being in the polo grounds when the New York Giants played there in 1953 and having my dad turn to me as an eight-year-old boy and said, Al, don't ever forget you just saw Stan Musial hit a home run. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but
1: anyway, getting to getting, you know a, a whole oh. new set of of scholars and
0: Isn't and, it amazing? I mean, you know, I've had a similar experience with the podcast. It's almost been 200 episodes and I know so little. I it's just been an experience in helping me and reminding me that there is so much to learn. Yeah. And I am constantly bumping up against new nooks and crannies of the scholarship, new scholars that I I just think to myself, how did I never even know that this person existed? But, you know, someone will be on the podcast and they'll say, hey, have you read X? And I'll yeah. say, no, I haven't read any Shelley Spiller. And all of a sudden there's a new world to explore, right? Yeah. No, that's and no, that's it's not. fascinating, isn't it? So editing the
1: Encyclopedia of Leadership
0: Studies with you know, with Scott
1: and, again, Georgia at the outset was really fun getting to know people. And especially some of the editing, people needed sometimes to communicate more broadly than the... <laughs> <laughs> in their writing than they were initially i mean it, it, it is more scholarly but but when i write i always have my mother and my many sisters in mind as the
0: audience that oh, no i love you know, that i
1: love that you, know, that, you know, that i want to, this to be accessible and 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 not way back i spent a year on leave at, at at princeton and three of us uh were in a room designing the next latest greatest study on cognitive dissonance. And I said, you know, this is great. The only problem is there are about five people in the world that are interested in this. And three (laughs) of them are right here in this room. (laughs) So, so so I, so I really wanted it to be the Encyclopedia of Leadership studies project, like like the Encyclopedia of Leadership to be accessible so people could read it and, and enjoy it.
0: So. Well, it's an incredible undertaking, and I will place I will place links in the show notes so listeners you can you can locate and and purchase your copy there. And again, just an incredible reference. Scholars from all over the globe and how they're thinking about this topic. And if you want a source to better understand really the universe of this topic, just an incredible resource. Now, Al, as I close down with you for the day. You know, I always ask guests what they've been reading or streaming or listening to, something that's caught your attention in recent times. What's been on your radar that listeners might be interested in? Again,
1: my continuing interest in presidential leadership, I've I've written uh, articles for leadership after the election of 2016 and the election of 2020. I just recently finished a paper, a chapter for the Handbook of Critical Leadership Studies that uh, Sue Wilson and Owain Smallerwick Jones are editing mm. about
0: Trumpism, mm. okay. Called Burning Love. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Back to back to the Elvis here. <laughs>
1: My brain is flaming. I don't know which way to go. Well, Trump tells them <laughs> you were. And 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 the unique and fascinating in American history link between Trump and 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 his. It's it, it's fascinating. So that you know that ties back to Freudian psychology and 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 mob behavior that he wrote about more than a hundred years ago. So so I'm interested in that. The most recent thing is editing for Edward Elgar Publishers. I'm, I'm just starting case studies in political leadership. Okay, I've I rounded up some of the same usual suspects <laughs> <laughs> people that contributed to the Encyclopedia of leadership studies. And so so that's an on, on, ongoing thing. So I'm, I'm still, as I said before, I'm still reading and writing and editing, just not getting paid for it
0: anymore. <laughs> well, you know, thank you so much for spending your time with us today. I mean, the the contribution that you have made to leadership studies, the field of leadership is just... It's incredible. And it's just an honor to be with you and hear some of the stories that you've shared. I mean, it's just, it's just really, really I appreciate your time today. And I know that listeners do as well. So, you know, I would love to have a conversation with you as we get further into the cycle. You know, again, looking at some of what we're seeing swirling around us is a little bit of a case study. As we get further into that that cycle of the campaign and how you see it, what what through your lens you're observing, I would love to have that conversation at some point.
1: Okay, good. So, Scott, uh, as you wind up, let me just say, as as Jim Burns would say, "Bye for now."
0: One thing I just really, really appreciate about that. Conversation with Al is that here you have an individual who is modeling something really, really important. You have an individual who's curious by nature and contributing, curious and contributing, even after retirement, making sure that he is making a contribution and adding to our understanding of this concept of leadership. And it's been decades. Boy, I hope I am modeling that as well. I might be an emeritus, but am I still engaged, working with others, and trying to help us better understand this thing called leadership? And so, Al, thank you so much for the work that you do, the contributions you have made, and I think it's a wonderful, wonderful model for all of us. Take care, everyone. You have just finished another episode of Practical Wisdom for Leaders with Scott Allen. To contact me, visit www.scottjallen.net. Or send me a note at scott at scottjallen.net. I can also be found on Twitter and LinkedIn, so let's connect. Now, if you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening. One final nod to our sponsors, the International Leadership Association and the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom
1: with Scott Allen.